The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. April 26, 2022 meeting of the Independent Community Police Oversight Commission to order. Ms. Janess, could you do the roll call for us? Sure. Commissioner Bonnie Billups. Here. Commissioner Makaya Ship. Present. 
Council Member Ali Ramalawi. Council Member Lynn Song. Here. Commissioner Jude Walton. Here. Chair Lisa Jackson. Present. Commissioner Stephanie Carter is absent today. Commissioner Mohammed Offman. Present. Vice Chair Francis Tadora Hargraves. Present. Commissioner Randy Milgram. Present. Commissioner Cynthia Harrison. Absent. Okay. Commissioner Joshua Miser. We have a quorum. Thank you. Um, in terms of the approving the agenda, are there any amendments to it, or is there a motion to approve it as is? Do we need to do we need to add a bunch of discussion on it, Francis? Um, I think we can. Yeah. Okay. So I'd like to make a motion to add a budget discussion, a discussion on the police budget. Is there a second? I'll second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Okay, so we can add that to new business. Um, is there a motion then to approve the agenda with that addition? Motion to approve the agenda. Is there a second? I'll second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? All right, now we have come, thank you all. Now we have come to the time for a public forum. And that means that any members of the public who are here or online calling in can come and speak to us for three minutes. Come on down. And you can say who you are if you like. Uh, my name is Teacher Barton. I live, currently live in Ward 4. Um, I already have three minutes, so you don't have to confirm or buzz me, please. Hello. Over a year ago, I FOIA requested the release of the Ann Arbor Police Department's policies and procedures with reasonable exceptions for publicly accessible viewing. My request was denied, and through appealing the denial, 42 policies were released as public documents, and a fee of $786 and 19.7 hours would be required to review and release the remaining policies to the public. It was confirmed with city representatives that, unrelated to FOIA requests, the chief of police was going to start August 2021 the release of 10 to 20 policies of the Ann Arbor Police Department on their website for publicly accessible viewing. The Ann Arbor Police Department has failed to meet their self-set time frame. My multiple attempts to get an updated time frame or a valid reason why policies already released to the public have not been added onto the Ann Arbor Police Department website have not come to any sort of fruition or resolution. The average release of policies by the Ann Arbor Police is less than eight policies per month, which at its current rate will take over four years to fulfill. Adjusting to match the current rate of release in 2022 would result in the process taking over 15 years to complete. The only policy released in the last two months was the one I specifically stated in the public forum section of the City Council meeting of Ann Arbor. Something my multiple month-long emails with the Ann Arbor Police Department in my city was not able to accomplish. The responses I receive range from, there is no set time frame, the chief of police will release them when he deems it correct, and my favorite of all is being told the policies are all posted and I'm sent a link to the Ann Arbor Police Department website. A simple count of the policies listed in the link I keep getting sent would prove, in fact, that all the policies are not posted, but getting a city member or a city employee to respond after pointing this out is something I'm also not able to accomplish. The assistant chief of police told me I needed to speak with the city administrator about this, but when trying to do so, I'm denied a meeting or even the option of making an appointment. And then I'm followed around by two to four Ann Arbor police officers, depending on which time I've tried to speak or make an appointment with a representative of the city. I have also been told I need to file a police report in order to gain the potential ability to speak with the Ann Arbor city administrator. 
Every response I've received from my city has been designed to deny, delay, and deflect the responsibility of action. It's like asking what 2 plus 2 is, and the only response given is that 5 is a prime number, a whole number, and the square root of 25. Those are all valid facts of 5, but that does not make 5 a valid answer for what 2 plus 2 is. I am asking this committee to obtain a quantifiable and measurable time frame from the Ann Arbor Police Department for the release and posting of the Ann Arbor Police Department's policies on their website and to clearly define the punitive actions that will be taken if and when the Ann Arbor Police Department fails again to meet and fulfill the set time frame of posting and releasing their policies on their website. They can start with the remaining 42 policies made public documents over a year ago but still have not been posted on the Ann Arbor Police website. For example, policy 001-010. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Hello. Hello, I'm Libby Hunter. Um, in light of another white officer shooting dead a black person in Grand Rapids, Ann Arbor should not forget ever that a white officer also shot dead a black person here in our city. After he murdered Ora Rosser, David Reed, the officer, was elevated to higher office in the AAPD and given a pay raise. Under Mayor Christopher Taylor and his administration, justice has most definitely not been served in this case. I am asking Mayor Taylor to do what civil rights activists have demanded over and over again. Pardon my mask. Apologize to the family of Ora Rosser, pay her funeral costs, and pay some financial restitution to her children. Mayor Taylor, why is it so difficult for a city like Ann Arbor to serve justice to its residents. This is affecting everyone and it has been for a number of years now since this was carried out. And I believe Officer David Reed is still in our department in a higher office in the department. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody on the phone? Denise? Anybody on the phone? No, we don't have anyone presently. Okay. Is there a, a discussion of the March meeting minutes or is there a motion to approve them? Motion to approve the minutes of our meeting. Is there a second? Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? All right, thank you. So we have some old business to take care of. And we have a resolution to send to council regarding the unarmed public safety response program. And I wanted to point out a couple of things before we get into it. First, the unarmed response program that is under consideration from the city um, is in addition to existing um, public services that the AAPD are already providing. The unarmed response program does not replace any program is just an additional tool that will be available um, in for those citizens who would prefer or workers or visitors who would prefer to have an unarmed response. Um, 
And the resolution in front of us is just um, from our commission asking council to make sure that the unarmed response program is not led by a law enforcement agency. That is not to say that there would be no cooperation with existing law enforcement agencies. It is certainly possible that a law enforcement agency could refer calls to an unarmed response. And it is certainly possible, although highly unexpected, that an unarmed response plan could call the police. CAHOOTS in Eugene, Oregon does that 0.6% of the time, less than 1% of the time do they involve police. But we understand that's a possibility. So we expect that there could be communication and cooperation between the unarmed response and any law enforcement agencies um, involved in the area. But this resolution is asking that the unarmed response plan not be um, operated by a law enforcement agency. And although it might seem obvious to members of this commission, um, that has largely to do with the philosophies of law enforcement as opposed to behavioral health agencies and those who might fulfill that mission. So they may look at handling the same situation very differently, and we believe that the unarmed response program um, would be better served by um, an operation that does not have a law enforcement perspective. So you all have the resolution in front of you. Um, and, and to say, there certainly is no unarmed response program at this time. The city is about to start doing community outreach and they'll be um, surveying people all across the community, people who live, work, and visit here about what they would like to see. Sometime after that, they will develop a request for proposals to staff that. And then an agency will be designated to run that program <laughs> or agencies, who knows. Um, this, however, is just asking council to make sure that when that um, proposal is um, granted, that it is not granted to a law enforcement agency. Um, I know some of you have given comments already. Are there any additions, suggestions, comments, thoughts? Should I read it? You guys are good. You don't need me to read. But in looking it over, is there anything else that should be added that is not here? There are just three resolve clauses that the organization leading unarmed response will operate independently from law enforcement and will not adopt a co-response model. The second resolve clause is that the development of unarmed response will be guided by people from communities who are disproportionately policed. And the third resolve clause is that the unarmed response program should include linkages to a wide, to a range of social services that encompass various social determinants of health and well-being, such as mental health, substance use, transportation, conflict resolution, housing, and others. And the whereas clauses are really just the rationale for making that request. Looking at it now, the only thing I'm wondering about is if there needs to be a word in front of guided in the second resolve significantly meaningfully something like that because it, you could say you know what well, we outreached and we spoke to somebody for half an hour that guided us but actually really getting to what I think the intent is that, that a lot of the content is really kind of driven so your suggestions were adding meaningfully guided or significantly or substantially or substantively yeah just something that, that kind of underlines before the word guided yes anybody is everybody okay with that Which one do you like? Which, which adverb? Substantively, significantly. 
Wordsmith? <laughs> I think substantively is the better choice. Okay, got it. And I, I also, I have a, a question. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if I, if I asked this before. I, I you know, as we discussed, um, I, I, I agree with this, uh, with this resolution, and I'm prepared to, to vote in favor of it. Um, I guess, I guess I am aware, though, that there are other, some other commissions have also adopted something similar, and we don't. Not we, yet. Oh, they haven't yet. No. Okay. Um, um, the Human Rights Commission is looking at it. And I believe the Housing Commission is looking at it as well, but they have not yet. Are, are you or are we as a commission aware of what, uh, of what their draft look like, looks like? I, uh, I, I don't think we need to be you know, guided by them. Right. I mean, we're, we're drafting our own. I guess my only question would be um, curious whether the, we could be in the position of adopting a resolution that could conflict with, with others. At this point, it does not look like there will be a conflict. So the uh, Human Rights Commission's draft from which they're working is this one. Mm -hmm. So I would let them know that we added the word substantively. And our goal is always um, to have all of our resolve clauses the same so that, you know, anybody who has to implement this would not have to match up different things and resolve conflicts. And um, the Housing Commission may be just doing a resolution to endorse this one. So they may go that route. There have been conversations about doing that, but they have not yet decided. And um, the human rights won't take this up until May, because I think they're not meeting this month. Or oh, actually, we're at the end of the month, so. Mm -hmm. They did not meet this month. Right. But we should not be in conflict. Good. Okay. Vice Chair. Um, do we need to put anything in here about um, how the program is going to get rolled out? Um, I know there's questions about how the public is going to receive education on um, understanding what the what the process will be, if it'll be a new number or who they how they reach these individuals in this in these cases. I feel like that would be um, a separate resolution that after we knew okay. what was going to happen, then we might comment on how we'd like right. to see it happen. Um, right. But I think getting into the nuts and bolts of that at this point right. might not be that realistic. Might We might be a little bit ahead of everyone else on that, although that's not a problem in and <laughs> of itself. But um, I think um, we certainly have the expectation that there would be um, a public education campaign to okay. say, hey, this is an additional resource. Um, the determination of whether there would be a separate number or not. Right. I think uh, City Administrator Dahoney um, talked about that in February and said that um, that it would be smarter to have a separate number. Um, certainly there are people who believe that because of the way that information is tracked through 911 that that would be challenging to have right. it run through 911. Um, I think Chief Cox was in the Observer, I think that was yesterday. I don't remember. I read that, but I don't remember the date. Sorry. Um, indicating that, you know, having a separate number would provide an additional resource. Um, but certainly publicizing that and making sure the public is aware of it as an additional resource would be key. Thank you. Of course. Councilmember Ramlawi. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> The, the first resolve clause um, in the end says that this uh, 
will not adopt a co-responsive model. Um, just so that I better understand that, um, is this calling for that the uh, mental health professionals would not have uh, police or sworn officers with them in response, that they would be responding to incidences without sworn officers? Absolutely. And so that's sort of at the heart of what an unarmed response means. It means that if you call that number, you should not expect to get law enforcement. So you're calling that number because you don't want law enforcement. If you would want law enforcement, you would call 911. And um, has, has the body been able to get, this body been able to get feedback from uh, the community mental health professionals and the uh, willingness or comfort of, of, of folks who do respond to these calls. Um, just trying to get a temperature as to Community mental health the is, um, they're, they're absolutely in favor of a co-response and they like being embedded with law enforcement and they've been very clear about that. Um, so they have no intention, you know, there, there are times when they may not respond with law enforcement, but they absolutely intend to keep doing that. So community mental health, um, personnel would not be engaged in an unarmed response plan because that's not their philosophy. Okay. They've been very clear that they want to respond with law enforcement. Well, thanks for the, for the, of course. the, the bright lines. I'm just making sure that I completely understand this. Yep. Thank and you. there are lots of professionals all around the country in Detroit and in other places and likely here who are willing to do unarmed response without being accompanied by law enforcement. They train for that, they go to school for that, and they practice like that. Um, so there are different um, populations of behavioral health specialists and they have different orientations. And um, there are those who prefer to work in the community without law enforcement. And so we don't expect that we will not be able to find people to do that, but we would not likely find people who are used to going out with police who suddenly would like to not go out with police. Because there's probably a reason why you prefer to go with police. If you're not so comfortable with you know, the population that you're serving, for example, or for whatever reason, I certainly wouldn't want to speak for community mental health. Questions? Any other questions, comments, thoughts? Sure. Would you read now the addition? Yeah, the yes, absolutely. So the second re resolve clause has been revised to say that, resolved, that the development of an unarmed response program will be substantively guided by people from communities who are disproportionately policed, such as those who use drugs, are without housing, have mental health issues, or are black, Latinx or other people of color. I wonder if it's, um, if it'd be useful in that same clause as we are listing um, demographics of people to talk about um, socioeconomic status. So there is um, a phrase, ALICE, that stands for um, Asset Limited Income Constrained Employed People. 
And in the state of Michigan, about 13% of people live below the poverty line, but 26% of people um, fit into the category of Alice. And those are people who are income constrained, um, but are employed and may often be living in situations where they are over-policed. And so I wonder if SES might be a thing that we might consider to say something about people in poverty or who fit into the category of Alice. Thoughts? Sure, I think it can be added. Okay. As as other. Anybody uh, have an objection people. to that? You guys good with that? Okay, I'll okay I'll try one more time. I'll read it again. <laughs> Resolved that the development of an unarmed response program will be substantively guided by people from communities who are disproportionately policed, such as those who use drugs, are without housing, have mental health issues, are in poverty, or Alice or are black, Latinx, or other people of color? You might have to define what Alice is. Might have to define what Alice is. Got it. So I'll, I'll spell it out, and yeah. then I'll use the acronym in print. I actually wrote it like that. Sorry. So asset limited, income constrained, employed. Because that's a, um, actually in Washtenaw County, I think the figure um, it's like 27% fit yeah, of people fit I, into those two it, categories. It's probably lower in the city of Ann Arbor. Right. Right. I only saw data for the county um, and the state. I, I didn't see. I'm not sure if I've seen Ann Arbor data. But, yeah, I'm sure that number is much lower in the city. But we are one of the most, uh, you know, sort of disparate counties mm -hmm. in the U.S. I'm sorry, Commissioner Milgram. No, that's fine. I, I was just curious. So you are talking about adding that at the very end? Um, after, um, it could go without, after yeah. without housing, was, comma. That's what I was going to suggest. Okay. Perfect. So it would go with, it would go after, or without housing. Um, in poverty. In poverty. At, or our asset limited, income constrained, employed, in parentheses. Well, we don't actually have to say Alice because we won't use it again. Um, comma, have mental health issues, or are black, Latinx, or other people of color? Yep. Okay. Thank you for that. Any other thoughts, comments, or is there a motion to approve it as amended? I move to approve okay. this resolution. Okay. Lynn, were you asking a question? I have a quick question. So is the intent of the resolution to inform the RFP process for community engagement? One more time. Is the, is the intent of the resolution to inform an, the RFP process, community engagement? The RFP for the actual unarmed response program. Which isn't out yet. Correct. We just wanted to get ahead of that one. Okay. Um, is, it the, is it the standard that... Um, commissions like craft the program a program before an RFP is issued? Um, I don't think so. I don't think it's standard. I think what we'd like to say to council though is before it's crafted um, and that staff are aware that the expectation of this commission is that it not be designed as a co-response process. 
Okay. I'm and just we understand to, that, you know, staff can largely ignore that if they want. I guess I'm just trying to understand, um, like, where where this would come in the process. You know, like, where does it come, where, where, where does the city report back you know like do we will we see the implementation when the when the program is up and running and then we know or like where is it in this loop of conversations between commissions and staff and electeds do we know that this will we're hoping that um, you all will make this consideration and communicate your expectations um, before the RFP for the program itself is designed okay and then but you know council may not the majority of you may not agree with that but you know we want to make our recommendation so that we're on the record as saying that so we've got two resolutions on on deck then right the one that was submitted in the council minutes last at the last meeting that was about traffic data transparency actually so right. completely unrelated yeah. right but but we've got two on task from ICPOC then like on deck if that if the other one is moved to a council agenda and this is also moved to the council agenda then we have two am i am i tracking you are i don't think this one won't come up to you guys before your next meeting though i don't think right we had our packet out today right all right okay i'm just trying to like figure out the timing you know and then try to see like what the conversations would be like with other council members i guess to co-sponsor it yeah, I mean, and, and we're happy to engage in those conversations and talk about why we think the co-response model, that we have a co-response model already, for example, and it's doing what it's doing. And there are plenty of, of residents, workers, and visitors who do not use that model because they do not want to interact with law enforcement. And those people certainly deserve public safety as well. Okay, yeah, I'm just trying to... Um figure out the process and how to how to move this because I mean we have these conversations here in committee and then uh, in community and then when it gets to the table um, I want to make sure that we're we understand what we're asking for and that that that's communicated with staff too so it's just so that we know what we're asking of them to do you know like in a really specific way and if we can be more clear here or if we need more in the whereas clauses to be more clear that way or if you think we need to do better council education, which is definitely possible, mm -hmm. we can do that. Yeah, I don't know what the timing is with the RFP, so. Yeah, I and think we're a ways we out. I don't think the city will be even finished with community engagement before the summer, mm -hmm. is what I've heard. <coughs> Sorry. I appreciate we're hoping that, that um, students get to participate in that process, though. And so if it's totally conducted when there are no students here or not many students here or just grad students and no undergrad students, you know, we are concerned that undergrad students won't be um, included in the community outreach, but okay. that's not for us to. Sure. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Of course. Questions, other questions, comments, thoughts? So I'd like to move um, the resolution as amended. Is there a second? I'll second it. All in favor of the motion as of the resolution as amended? 
Say aye. 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 Any opposed? Okay. Um, I'll make those and send that to Ms. Janess. Mm -hmm. And we can move on to new business, which is um, talking about the distribution of the marijuana excise tax. Um, we had a couple of questions from council that we couldn't answer. And so we are fortunate to have Attorney Slate with us today. Um, to talk about how some of the um, marijuana excise tax funds are being used. I need glasses for this, but. Um, Chair, you want me at the podium? I didn't know why I was coming, so I'm not prepared, but I will do my best. Okay. <laughs> you should have called us. Why did you not call and ask us? But come on now, whatever. You, if you have a, you did what? You know, yeah, did you, we, Francis or I didn't get emails or texts, but we're good. Um, and you could probably help us anyway. So one of the question, questions was, um, one of the distributions of the excise tax that has been sort of grandfathered in already has to do with diversion programs. Yes. And one of the questions we got from commissioners as well was about um, what the data looked like from those programs. Okay, so uh, diversion, there are two things that were initially funded from the first round of marijuana excise tax. So that came, and I'm, my numbers are a little off, but it's 486, 496, mm-hmm. $496,000 we had the first year. Council passed a resolution, generally it was last March, generally saying these monies should be used to help a population that was most affected by the war on drugs, right? We need to fix some of the institutional wrongs that came from that. And um, the also caveat to help at-risk youth, right? So the two programs that came out of that, one were uh, the expungement program, and that program has serviced, I think we're almost at 100 people since we didn't get that started July 1st. We started seeing our first folks, I think, in August. Um, but we have at least 100 or right at 100 folks that have um, done intakes are in our in process or have been granted expungement so far. The second program is diversion. Now, it's diversion from the criminal justice system. So this is kind of a, a step one of justice reform. Diversion works when somebody has been, already becomes justice involved. They've been issued a citation. They've been charged with a crime. The goal is to divert them out of the justice system by helping them address the root cause of justice involvement. It doesn't mean that um, there's no accountability. I know that's a very common misconception, like, oh, we're just kicking people out, we're letting them go. The goal is to provide them with a hand up, not a hand out and that it's individually tailored for each person. It is a trauma-informed program. We are not, we don't force people into treatment programs. We don't tell them they have to take their medication. Um, Myself, the defense attorney, if there is one, if not, they represent themselves. We try to sit down and discuss what things that they need so that they're not seen by the courts in this capacity again. It has been very successful. I only know of one person who didn't make it through the diversion program and he's on bench warrant status. I just, we lost track of him. I don't know where he is. 
hope he's okay. Um, but other than that, we have over 250 people since last July that we've serviced. That means not charges or crimes, 250 people. Keep in mind some of these folks that have been part of this program have 16, 17, 20 cases. So all of those cases are removed from their record, which is pretty amazing. Um, and just because you go through diversion, if you, this is the gentleman who's been gone and in the wind from us, um, when he wants to come back, we're gonna help him get back on track and try to get him the services that he needs. The nice part about the diversion program is when I first started here um, at the fall of 2017, I was seeing the same kids over and over again. <laughs> the same adults with the same issues. And I'm like, oh, and they'd be like, hi, prosecutor lady. And like, we knew each other are like basically on a first name basis, we'd see each other downtown. And it was just like a part of their life was like to come to court and then they couldn't pay the fines and costs. So then they'd get an order to show cause to pay. We weren't doing ability to pay hearings. We weren't doing anything different which is really the problem. We can't keep doing the same darn thing and expect to have a different outcome. <laughs> so helping people address their root cause has been the order of business for diversion. When council funded that, they gave it to us in a two-year pilot program. We come to the end of our first year on June 30th. And so we will um, provide numbers. Unfortunately, data, isn't that always the problem? We don't have a data system to track people by race or age or socioeconomic status. We have a very talented social worker in the probation department that has an Excel sheet. That's what we have. So, but we will be able to report back to you um, as to how many people are in the program and have completed and folks who are still working their way through. Commissioner uh, Todoro Hargreaves. Do you have any idea a guesstimate of how many people, how many more you would be able to provide service to if there were more money? Oh. Is there anybody you're not reaching, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. Yes. Um, and this, it's hard to quantify how much more money I would need <laughs> to put a program forth like this. One of the things that I look at is in the spirit of not doing the same thing that we've always done is maybe trying to help these folks before they become justice involved. That's what we're really missing here is that, um, and I'll tell you a, uh, a quick little ditty. There was a gentleman that I worked with when, back when I used to work in the jail, you know, 100 years ago, and um, he <coughs> wanted treatment so badly and he was ready to be sober. He had hit his point and he's like, Slay, help me get into treatment. And I'm like, oh, you don't qualify for this kind of assurance and your crime wasn't serious enough for us being the state to send you to residential treatment. Like we needed him to do something more serious and like maybe have a victim or something. So he had higher sentencing guidelines to send him to treatment. And I just read an article about him um, in the newspaper. He, it's, I think we're looking at maybe 17, 18 years later. He just graduated from a drug court program. But he had all that time in the meantime that if we had helped him maybe from the beginning, I think about all the missed opportunities. So um, what I would love to have funded as part of that program is additional monies to be able to work with transportation costs and a budget for identification 
is a huge barrier. For those of you who work in the social service community, you kind of have to have ID to do everything. You want to have a job, got to have ID. What do you have to have to get ID? You got to get a birth certificate, right? Birth certificates are expensive. Um, I just had to order one from the state of Indiana. It was $75, right? I'm blessed that I was able to afford it, but that's really cost prohibitive. When you're applying for a job, when you're trying to get an apartment, all of those things require ID. And that's a, a hiccup that I suffer from. I talked to the probation department. They estimated, I believe it was, 65% of their participants in the specialty courts have ID issues. So, uh, so a couple questions. Ma'am. If you can't, if you're not, I'm not sure if your social worker's Excel spreadsheet doesn't have race, age, or SES, then how do we know that these are the people whom that excise tax money was designed to assist? Well, it is over 80% of my docket. What so I mean is, Washington County. Tell? I could go through one by one and put their, their yeah. race and, and approximate age. Um, most of them, there is a, a way I can couple distinction as to whether or not they qualify for indigent defense. That would meet your Alice or below Alice guidelines. Um, that's an easy thing to figure out um, yeah. because that is something that the court does on nearly all of the Ann Arbor City cases. We have very few cases that are not related to drunk driving where there's private counsel retained. So we have been um, talking with judges and others in the probation system, and the court system, and one of the concerns is that many of the specialty programs that are available to people are in and of themselves um, disproportionately used by not people of color, not lower income people, and that even these special programs um, have lots of disparities in the way that they are doled out. Um, and so I, I think them, yeah. it'd be like a big thing for us to make sure that this is not just a repetition of that and that we could see. So, you know, traffic stop folks have to give us data on this. We know crime stats have this kind of data. And so I think it would be like a basic expectation that we would see some indication of at least perceived race, age um, in the data in terms of who's being served to make sure that this is, in fact, that community. And I think um, the other question is, if this is being run out of the city attorney's office, I mean, we are talking about diversion, mm -hmm. um, and you're talking about working with um, the parole system. Um, probation. Probation system, thank you. So these people seem to be, um, so this definitely seems to be a diversion program. And maybe there's, there's some assistance that happens such that they aren't, as enmeshed in the system as they might otherwise be. Mm -hmm. But um, unless, so unless it's clear that these are people who were targeted as this kind of the, um, as the beneficiaries of the excise tax, that would seem to be problematic. Um, and that would seem to be something that should be documented without question. And may I respond I, just because I feel like there's lots coming. Huh? I don't, don't want to lose out on this. May no, no, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Jump in. I, I understand and I wish I had a program, a data set where I, this was like an easily obtained thing. But this is manual data entry on folks who are already gainfully employed doing everything they possibly can and are working at capacity. Well, you said it's like 250 people, right? Just well to go case by case. There's probably hundreds. More than that. Okay. So yes. Yeah. That's what you're. Asking. So you need like a college intern to go key some stuff, code some stuff for you. 
Uh, we can find you. No. I'm sure. It's all, well, it's backfilled by Lane. All right. Well, I think that's a thing. And then, so we're all clear that we're not talking about deflection at all. No, no, we don't have a budget for okay. deflection. I just want to make that clear because we yeah. keep hearing about different terms thrown around. And deflection would be directing people away from getting involved in the system in the first place. It's proactive, something we don't do in our Right. Um, and so then, if this, so does this program live in the city attorney's office? Where does this program live? Um, it generally lives within the city attorney's office. I make agreements to do the deflection with the defense counsel, or like I said, the pro per person for those who are representing themselves. But a you social worker who actually works in the probation department is the, um, I don't want to say he does the checks and balances for me. Like if somebody agrees that they're going to go to the dispute resolution center, he provides proof back to me that that was completed. If somebody wants to do community service or make a public service announcement, like they, kids, uh, some of them are doing essays. It's kind of a little, I mean, it's really individualized. Um, so sometimes it's just maintain contact with your current caseworker from Avalon. You just <laughs> used the word deflection, but you meant diversion, right? Yes, I'm sorry. I meant diversion. That's, that is like, so whatever it is for that person, um, they'll have a release of information. And Joe from the probation department will just give a checks and balance for us because I tried to do it my first couple of years, and I don't have the bandwidth to be a case manager for 200 people. I'm sorry. So this came under the initial um, excess resolution that yes. we talked about. It was done last March in 2021. Yes. Just under $500,000. Yes. Do you have any idea there. how much of that is left? No, I don't. The request that I had was for oh, 100 and maybe 130000 for the... Uh, diversion program that would be staff time that includes helping people like if they needed to be on tether mm -hmm. like because that was something that their sponsor thought was a good idea I and only do it the, at that and regard. the expungement that we were able to help 100 people 70,000 ish somewhere in there okay those are that's actually pretty costly of a program to have an expungement there's a $50 fee you have to pay to the state police. Right. Chief Cox was pretty fantastic and said, anyone who's applying for expungement doesn't have to pay for fingerprints at the city of Ann Arbor, just make an appointment, which was nice, because um, there's a cost associated with that. Um, you have to pay for certified records from every place you've gotten a conviction from, and not only is that extremely onerous and difficult, um, it's expensive because sometimes you pay per page. And so um, Joe from the probation department, he orders all of that, does the intake, and we have a contract with the public defender's office, and they, for a next to nothing, um, I don't want to say um, dollar amount, I think it's like $10,000 or less, um, they take all of the referrals from our office to represent them. Okay. Thank you. Sure. I have a question. Uh, how this program works, how you reach out to the individuals who might benefit from the diversion. Uh, is it through the probation that you have the cases? Uh, how, how, how that So really initially when somebody is given a citation under the city ordinance, they have 10 days to make an appointment to come in to be arraigned in front of the judge. Very rarely am I 
at those initial arraignments. Those are sometimes in front of a magistrate. But when they first come into court, they're given the opportunity to be represented by counsel. Um, and I talk with the exception of probably about 10% of my caseload, I talk to the defense attorney or if they're representing themselves to each person about diversion. Some of them I don't, there's no diversion on drug driving or drunk driving in the city. And, and this is going to be conveyed to the individuals that this is an option. This is, is an option and everybody, and we put stuff a little bit on the record, um, but not a ton because part of this process too is not being saddled with what happens in court for the rest of your days. And I'll give you an example. You have a young kid and they come in and they do something really dumb and it happens to be a crime and they get a citation for it. The more stuff that their attorney and I put on the record, like, hey, aren't we proud of Jim Shu today? He completed his essay and his community service and we're making a record that can somebody can pay 15, 20 bucks and get a CD of that later? Right, but we've got to be able to document that for transparency's sake, right? We do document it, but not for transparency of everyone. It's documented for that particular individual in the court file, but we're not making a public broadcasting. Keep in mind right now. No, 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 but you could document to counsel, oh, no, for example, how the money was spent. The promotion department documents the requirements that they had. The defense attorney gets a, you know, they have it documented, but we're not making a public announcement about it. Right. Court is broadcast by YouTube. Right. So I, it's, it's in very, terms of transparency, we just meant you could report out we served X number of people. Yes, we served X number of people, and then we usually, um, so each person is kind of given the opportunity, and diversion looks different for everybody. So some people, it's just, I don't want to see you back in here, and they don't have additional needs that be addressed, and so we'll kick their case out several months, and then then it's done and I dismiss it. And so do we know, like, is there, how do you, um, how do people access the program? Is there a rubric that sort of um, lends people to fall into your, sorry, um, in, into your path? Do All you- All people charged with city offenses with the exception of the assault and batteries or where a victim, a crime victim under the state constitution is defined and they're objecting to it. Um, that calls for more conversations. Drunk and drug driving, those, pro those are not on the deferral track. It's generally offered to just about everybody. So to be clear, I have parolees in the diversion program. It's, you're not precluded because of past choices and events. Got it. So um, the current request is 635,000, right? The current request of for um, out of the excise tax money for the upcoming fiscal year? No. I don't have an additional request outside of the under 200 that was initially. I don't have a request for any additional money. The first council, I'm sorry. I council said agreed to fund it for two years as a pilot program to see how we're looking. And I have had no additional request for anything outside of that. Right, so what I mean is, what's, do you have an idea of the total that will be allocated for the program in the upcoming fiscal year? I don't, but I'm, we're, I think we're operating with the same budget. Gotcha. Because that was already decided. So um, That was already decided and voted on. So is that, the, is that the additional, like what's left between the 200 that you just said and the 
496 or whatever. Very possible. Okay. Uh, um, Councilmember Rimrally, you look like you've got intel. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Did you we're want throwing me around. To... I'm sorry, madam. No yeah, worries. Sorry. Please go ahead. Uh, we're, we're throwing around a lot of different numbers here, um, and we, we don't have anything in front of us really to go refer to. Um, the initial amount was the 450 to 500 thousand mm -hmm. dollars. That was for two years. Mm -hmm. So, um, there needs to be. Uh, hopefully a conversation to clear the matter because there's a lot of confusion going on right now because the talks about this budget have used that number $450,000 or so again mm -hmm. as a part of this $1.4 million that we're getting this year. Mm -hmm. So now we're double dipping. We're, 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 we're asking, we're, this, this program has already been funded for two years, but yet this year we've carved out another almost half million dollars of the 1.4 million that's coming into this year. So there needs to be conversations about that. Um, and then the, the 600,000, I'm not sure that that figure is coming from, but I, I guess we need a little work session here to get through these numbers and, and talk with Marty and the city administrator, to make sure that we're clear on, on what these figures are because uh, up until up until recently, minutes ago, we thought that that diversion um, and expungement program was just funded for one year with that nearly half million dollars, not two years. And, and statements have been made that um, that same amount was going to be used again out of the 1.4 million to fund it again. So uh, we have to get uh, that cleared up. Um, I also just wanted to go back to the, to the discussion about IDs. I thought the IDs were going to be also funded with that initial outlay. Um, is that happening, not happening? If it it's not happening, why? Currently not happening as part of the diversion program. IDs were um, a separate program of deflection the IDs and costs associated with that were a request if council were to look at deflection in the future. Um, and that's more of case management service. It's not justice involved people, or I suppose it could be justice involved people, um, but their reason for having contact with the city won't be because they have a pending case or a pending investigation. It really is truly like a community prevention model help people before they get in trouble and so that was the request if you know council entertains that i think i asked for three thousand um, dollars to help with identification procurement and that would include like a state id or um, obtaining birth certificates or even the ten dollar cost to get a booking photo from the washington county jail which you can use as a piece of identification to help get your driver's license or even a county id okay well, thanks. I um, appreciate it. That's all I have for right now. And then we got one question that just came in. Um, when people participate in this program, um, and just help me with the legal part of this here, sure. um, and um, as they move through this program, later, do they have to answer the question about having had a conviction? There's no conviction. 
So there's no conviction. Do no, you have to have answer? There's no fingerprints. No fingerprints. So no. So people who move through this process who may have been fingerprinted before, they get to remove those from the system, or how does that work? Um, there's nothing in the Ann Arbor City Code with the exception of drunk and drug driving for which you are fingerprinted. To Got be it. fingerprinted, you have to be charged with an offense that has a penalty greater than 93 days. The only two crimes in, under the Ann Arbor City Ordinance are um, under 10-1A of the police code, which is drunk driving um, or drugged driving or high BAC, which is kind of an anomaly, but it's a six-month offense for somebody driving with a blood alcohol level of 0.17 or higher. And so what have you found in your experience about people, um, obviously, you can't know this because you don't walk around with everybody holding everybody's hand, but like um, as they are moving on with their lives and you ask the question about having been arrested, are these people able to say with confidence that those records don't exist? Do they get to say that? I mean, I know. Uh, arrested is different than fingerprinted. Yeah. Because sometimes you can be arrested without fingerprinted. Um, hopefully that's not a question that you typically see too much anymore. However, I did find out from one graduate student recently, soon to be graduate student, that there was an application process where they were saying, have you ever been arraigned yeah. on a case before, regardless of the disposition, you know, incredibly unfair, but sure. th they would have to answer yes to that in a diversion type of program. Got it. Okay, cool. Thank you. And thank you sure. for the fingerprint part too. Yeah, no problem. Um, anybody else? Questions, comments, thoughts? Go ahead. Councilmember Sog. Will there, will there be a report for or an update for council on all of this? Um, Mr. Royal was, uh, we were going to add something to council agenda closer to the end of the first fiscal year, so probably maybe first meeting in July or so, just to give the community kind of an update of how the first year went, how much money we have uh, used, if there's additional needs or concerns that might be helpful for future budget cycles, um, and how many people we've served. Um, just, it's a, it is a good chunk of money, right? We're talking about around $200,000 a year. That's a huge ask. Um, I asked when you guys think about that, that it's, it's $137 a day to keep somebody locked up. And I haven't met anyone who's actually come out of jail and been like, oh, you know what, I'm so much better off now. <laughs> that doesn't happen. So um, I think it's, we've had good use, but Mr. Royal is prepared to make a, he said end of June, early uh, July. To hopefully, we can come soon to a council meeting near you. But if there's, but if if there's an if there's a need before the budget, you know, meaning that if you already see that there is an additional need for public offenders, I mean defenders, you know, or because I mean I'm a little worried about um, in the middle there. You were saying that there are folks who represent themselves. Oh, um, they, um, that's by choice. So um, at every step, there is a court rule. The judge reads or I read, we take turns because um, it's kind of a long court rule and we make sure that you're off, you can have defense if you want defense. And I've never actually seen anyone in the city of Ann Arbor be denied right to counsel. Like they, oh, you make too much money. It's pretty loose standards in that regards, but everyone's given the opportunity for every court hearing. So if you've come to court three times and on the fourth time you decide, you know what, I'd like an attorney now, um, we do that too. So there's always a right to counsel. There's always a right to counsel. It's one of my favorite amendments. Okay, thanks. Constitutional amendments. You know, prosecutor, I like four, five, and six, so. <laughs> I couldn't tell. You guys are good? Anything else? Thank you. So this was good. This was sure. so helpful. This was like um, diversion 101. <laughs> okay. Um, well. And so this was great. Thank you. Sure. Thank you so much.
So, I, I, before we leave this topic, I know there's additional funds coming in. So this is funds that we received or that the city received last year in 2021. So now we're looking at additional funds coming in 2022. And I think I just poked around now and I, I just wanna state that the, the resolution that we're talking about from March of 2021 is our 21-098 and it was passed March 15th of 2021 and in this resolve it outlines not only for the proposed fiscal year 2022 budget but in addition to future budgets that the use um, for such purposes specifically be related to restorative and alternative strategies for public safety and community support, such as, and there's a few things listed in the, there's four bullet points. And so I'm thinking that those are some things such as programs for at-risk youth, um, emergency response for mental health and or substance use. Um, and I, I know, I, I don't know how much of that's available now. So I'm wondering, is there more discussion that we want to have on this? This seems like a lot. It seems like a lot. Um, and part of the thing, and we'll send this to everybody, is that the city administrator has, um, I think late and maybe around the third week of March, the city became aware that they would receive more excise tax. Unsurprisingly, they sold mm -hmm. more marijuana uh, in Ann Arbor than was expected. <laughs> maybe, maybe not more than was expected. We should have expected more, but um, there's an additional $935, uh, $336 um, that now could be spent. And so the city administrator has made a recommendation of how to spend that. And I think one of the questions is, does that really address the spirit of the resolution 21098 that um, Ms. Tadora Hargraves um, mentioned and council member Rumlawi. Oh, thank you. Um, and, and just based on some of the information we just heard, um, there's actually more than 936. That 936 um, deducted the $480,000 to fund the program that Ms. Slay just described. So there isn't, there is a, a, a full $1.4 million this year coming in that's unassigned. And, uh, uh, initially, it was told it was only 936 because uh, um, of the double dipping uh, in the uh, prior programs that were funded last year, but those, again, are for two years. Um, I had brought forward an, uh, a budget amendment uh, when it came to prescribing the ARPA funding where I, where I wanted to start assigning this marijuana excise tax to the um, unarmed response program. That did not get council support. Um, <clears throat> I was gonna, it was creative accounting and the fact that I just wanted to put more money towards coordinated funding um, from the ARPA and then use the marijuana money to fill that gap that we would have created by doing so and then start the process and start the tradition of funding the unarmed response. 
as we know the unarmed response is only going to be funded for two years with the ARPA money. So um, I just want to make it clear that it's a quite a bit of money and uh, the, the, the prescription to use that money I don't believe follows the spirit and intent of the resolution that the vice chair just, just described and outlined. So I urge this commission and others in the community to make sure that council spends that money as it was um, approved by the same council. This isn't uh, a resolution that was passed by any other council than the one that's sitting there today. So hopefully um, this recipe is followed and those monies are used for these types of programs. Councilmember Sog. I think it might be hard for folks to follow um, some of our conversations. So what we're referencing is a memo that our city administrator had um, had published in his recommendations to use this money. Uh, it was a series of recommendations across requests from throughout different uh, departments, but his recommendations um, came to the following. 100 100,000 for public works apprenticeship program. This would be for entry level public works positions, uh, notably working with youth. 100,000 for utility support for residents in need, and that's via barrier busters. Um, 700,000 for low income sustainability grant. And that's to help residents pay for home improvement so homes are healthier, um, more comfortable, and more sustainable. And 35,366 for backpack or school supplies for families in need. So um, if the issue is that the, those buckets are in question as to whether they meet the needs of those most affected by the war on drugs, I think that's definitely something that council, you know, it's within our authority and abilities to question and make amendments. But I, I, have, to, I have to say I think that the discussion on the ARPA funding and that vote came before this memo was issued. So this was... This is a result of staff's work and, and reaching out to community to understand what the needs are. And I'm glad that we have this to consider now. Um, and if we, if we have more creative thoughts around that, maybe we can talk about it here. Go ahead. So if we have questions about those um, recommendations, Councilmember Song, how do we get those answered? What's the what? What do you think the best option for us is? Like, for instance, I have a question. I'm interested in, like, how many households would be um, would be targeted, like, for the low income sustainability grants? How many low income homeowners do we actually have in Ann Arbor? Those kinds of questions. I'm looking, I'm trying to look through the memo for the exact number. Um, let's see. Uh, the initial, the initial request was for 500 to a million, 500,000 to a million. It didn't give a number of uh, residents or, or homes. Um, but Mr. Dahoney came to 700,000 as the final recommendation. But if we, if you want more details, I guess I would suggest just emailing all of council and Mr. Dahoney so that we're all on the same page as to understanding what the, the questions are coming from community. I mean, odds are council members have the same questions too. 
So instead of waiting for us to ask and having that published out or discussed in council meeting, you might as well just email us now. I mean, we're getting questions on like different issues that aren't, um, that have been brought up in the past and in previous budgets. Um, and no one's really waiting for, for permission to email all of council on, the, on that. If I can add a little bit to that. Go ahead. Um, I, I think the, the questions should be more direct. I, I think if you send it all to all of council first, it's, we're not gonna be able to respond to that. Um, maybe um, definitely not reply all or we're gonna be violating OMA. Uh, I think Marty Prashan uh, and John Fournier, Milton Dahoney, uh, are, are really some of the more um, direct folks that you can talk to. Missy Stoltz in the sustainability office. Um, I, quite was, I was quite shocked at staff's recommendation on how to spend this 936. Um, I expressed my shock uh, to the folks because again, I did not um, see how that correlated with the resolution that was passed in March of 2021. I think you need to have a very active imagination to draw those lines. I'll just leave it there, thank you. So, Go ahead. I guess my next question is, is how, how in the weeds do we wanna get as a commission on this? Is this something we wanna ask questions on? Is this something we wanna to leave to staff? Um, I think it's always fair for us to ask questions. I think when this was um, brought up um, a year or so ago, um, there was a conversation brought to this body about the intent of those, of the money that would be received from taxing marijuana and that its intent was to be used for people most harmed, um, you know, by the quote unquote war on drugs or people who had been most harmed by the kind of policies that existed. And so I think it is fair for us to discuss it, it was brought to us. Commissioner Othman. I really would like to see a, a part of the money being used to give some kind of scholarships to um, individuals who are uh, not in, in a financial situation where they can afford um, uh, going to driving school. Because sometimes what they do, the, the kids, is they try to probably do things on their own and then they will be uh, caught, uh, they will be apprehended by the police and then the cycle will start. So if we have some kind of proactive program where we identify individuals who might benefit from driving, you know, pay for driving lessons and get the license in a, a legal way, uh, that also would be um, one way of using some of that money uh, to, um, uh, like, instead of the kids going into the legal system or the court and, you know, start this rabbit hole kind of thing, is, is if we have some of that money to, to support those individuals who might not be able on their own to... Uh, do the uh, right thing by paying for uh, driving school and, and the license. 
and, and that should be, you know, part of, you know, I don't know how many of the individuals you had um, uh, served with, with the diversion uh, that would, would benefit from this. Most of the folks who came into our court that um, had driving with license suspended charges, the goal is to help them become licensed drivers. Um, and they did not get sent necessarily into the diversion program because they, unless they had extenuating circumstances where they needed the assistance of the social worker um, and they were just working on, you know, maybe taking a test or um, getting in those logging in those hours, things of that nature. If they had a companion civil infraction, I dismissed it once they came up with their obligation. So we probably have at least, I'd say close to 100 people that are not accounted for in the driving with license suspended. I did not take the resources of those who needed more case management services on things that I could handle during the docket. The Sheriff's Department does have a, they uh, have a community partnership to pay for driving school for our young folks as well, and it's been, um, it's now funded again, I think for another year, and it's been very successful. I believe Kathy Wyatt from the Sheriff's Department was pretty instrumental in bringing that to the community. Thank you. Any more thoughts? I'm on, um, I'm, I just sent you guys, um, the document that, that details the proposal on the table from the city administrator in terms of how part of those funds are to be spent. And so we can certainly have a discussion about that and um, bring that back to council or ask the city administrator any questions. I was able to ask a couple of questions about it um, and, and he was really quick to reply. So um, we've had some back and forth on that already. And we can continue to ask questions of it and ask our council liaisons about it. Can I, can I just read this? So um, one of the recommendations is 100,000 for barrier busters and for folks who don't, who are unaware of barrier busters and their work, um, let me just read what Mr. Dohoney had recommended. Uh, barrier busters is a group of 100 plus social service agencies committed to improving services and responding to emergencies for Washington County residents in need. County, Washtenaw County um, in an efficient way to prevent evictions, utility shutoffs, and assist with other emergency costs that threaten residents' housing and financial stability. Resi residents in need work with their existing provider to, ex to access financial assistance. The City of Ann Arbor Barrier Busters Funds provides assistance to residents who may be in need of utility bill support. As an example, um, in the 2021 annual report, 132 Ann Arbor City families received assistance and the amount of $87,000, well exceeding the city allocations in 2021. This was funded by voluntary contributions from residents who round up their fees from utility services. These voluntary contributions typically add up to between 10K and 15K per year for this program. So this is the generosity of our city who believes in the investment of caring for, for, for community, fellow community members. Um, it's anticipated that requests from city of Ann Arbor residents will likely exceed 120,000 in 2022. So what he's saying is that there's this existing program, existing need, we know will increase, even though residents are, you know, increasing their own utility bills to assist uh, our neighbors. There's still an opportunity to use excise money to, I mean, 
when we talk about the communities most impacted by the war on drugs, we know that we're talking about folks who've been incarcerated. And those could be the main providers for families. So when you're behind in utility and rent and you're on the risk of eviction, barrier busters can really keep you from losing your home and caring for your family. So I feel like if, if the other allocations are in question, I hope that this one is not. Um, it's difficult to get this money for barrier busters. Uh, we have an Avalon employee right here who can probably speak to cases where we see this in action in, in community. So that's when I will strongly advocate to keep. And, and barrier busters is a project of the Washtenaw County Community and Economic Development mm -hmm. um, Agency. And uh, you guys can, it's just washtenaw.org slash barrier busters. And so you can read more information about what they do, I think. Um, I think one of the questions too was how many people was that expected to serve, that kind of thing, how big the grants are. I've heard different things about how, the, how big the grants can be and so how many people that would help. Um, Commissioner Chidora Hargreaves, did you have a question? No. Your no. hand was, okay. Good. Thank you. So I think, it's, I think it's worthy of having a conversation and just, you know, you guys sort of pondering what's there and um, I've sent you all the memo and you know how to look up, you know, the different things to which allocations have been made. And then for us to ponder, you know, whether that's really in the spirit of the, um, you know, the, the, the excise tax money, all of this revenue. You know, we've seen that all across the country, right? You know, people try to use this money for diff in different ways. Um, when it first happened in Colorado and the social services that they provided and, and state after state after state, it wrestles with these things. How do we spend this extra you know, revenue that we had not necessarily anticipated. And so I think those conversations are important and they're ongoing and they're evolving. And so um, they're important to think about. Um, shall we move on? The next item on the agenda will be really quick. Um, we were just going to ask about the request for proposals for the community engagement services. And that was just, um, we had talked to um, the city administrator. As you all know, there was a, um, resolution in 2021 in April that the city explore whether an unarmed response program was um, possible or, or, or not and that ICPOC was to be consulted in that and one of the things that was very important to this body was that there be community outreach by the city to ask the citizens what they might want in an unarmed response program and to ask people who are not generally included in that process. And so we can't do the usual Zoom meeting where everyone with internet access, high-speed internet logs on and gives their thoughts about how they want to spend ARPA money. That, that kind of process isn't going to work. We have to reach people who are typically disengaged from the political process, who feel disenfranchised by it, um, who are most likely to be impacted by an unarmed response program. The city you know, fairly said they didn't think they could do it. And so they put out an RFP for a community engagement process. And they're in the process of, I think they got four applications. They've narrowed it down to two. And now they're in the process of deciding between two different firms who will run that outreach in the city of Ann Arbor. And so my question was, what's going on with that? And then I got an answer today. So we could have taken it off the agenda and I could have just told you guys, but oh well. Um, so moving on. Um, are there any reports from committees? No, the police budget. I, I, I apologize. We added something to the budget, <laughs> and I just ignored that. Um, we were going to ask about the Ann Arbor Police Department budget. Do you want to handle that part? So I know the budgets were presented earlier um, 
and that today a question came up of how ICPOC was going to be evaluating uh, the police budget. Uh, it'll be up to us to go through it and then present questions uh, to the police chief and uh, city administrator Dahoney if we have any questions. I have not seen it yet. I don't know if anybody else has reviewed it, but um, we'll need to. Denise, are you able to get that for us that you could send that to all of us? The, the budget? police budget. Their tentative proposed. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then that way we'll be able to get questions and hopefully answers. Um, I believe is council going to be voting on the budget at their May 16th meeting? Is that correct? Yes. Okay, I'm seeing nods. So, okay. Right. right. And the police chief has talked about a number of new positions he wants to fill. And so um, it'll be interesting to, to look at all of that. But as that is certainly part of our responsibility to, to do that and to make sure that makes sense. Can I just check, will there be context with that? So, for instance, if we're going to see the proposed tentative draft for next year, will we be able to see this year's budget and where there were large variances? So if we're just looking at a, a proposed budget, we do not have much. Also, I know that I don't have any real context or insight for that. So I can, I can look at a number and say, ooh, that's a high number. But I don't know if it shifted Relative a lot right. from last year right. to be able to so, help see where things are changing or moving. Right. And, uh, and the city administrator will be quick to point out that their police don't have a budget. It's part of the general budget. Um, and so um, everything is kind of in one pot. But I do understand what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Because, and, and we, our body has to file quarterly reports or, or, or some, at some interval reports about how much money we spent vis-a-vis -vis what we thought we were going to spend. And we know that um, the police department certainly does that as well. So that information should be available, um, even though it is not considered a separate budget item. And so we would certainly like to take a look at those numbers and maybe um, some of the interim sort of spending information, if we can get that. Any other thoughts on that? So we'll get that out to you as soon as we get our hands on it. And in addition, you know, if we can have some context for it, that makes sense. As Commissioner Walton said, it doesn't really help that much just to see a bunch of numbers. It doesn't really tell you anything unless you have some context for whether they're increased, decreased, and what they mean vis-a-vis -vis something else. So. All right, having said that, are there any reports from any committees? Communications from individual commissioners that they'd like to bring forward? So we have an update on complaint review process. So we, we're, we're uh, going through the process, um, getting things evaluated. I know I was not able to make the most recent meeting due to a conflict, but um, Commissioner Othman and Commissioner Carter met with the deputy chiefs to go through some uh, complaints that we're reviewing now. So we're going to continue through. We're also still working on um, our website so that um, complaints will be a, a log or a dashboard will be on the website. So we're just continuing to work on that. I'm going to take the next one too. 
Oh, and an update on the AAPOA contract discussions. Um, I did meet with uh, City Administrator um, Dahoney, uh, Councilmember Song, Councilmember Winlawi, and uh, other city staff, and uh, laid out the conversation that we had here at our last meeting and three items that we wanted um, discussed or clarified. And they are going to be uh, keeping us updated once the negotiation process is concluded on where it all came out. Um, and at the time of that meeting, the negotiations had not started yet. I don't know if they've started since then, um, but at that time, we were basically presenting our thoughts um, before negotiations actually started. So the three things were, uh, two of them were left from the couple of years ago when we went through this process, which was that the um, reflection back um, in the discipline uh, record would be seven years. Um, it originally was two. Um, after the last contract, it went to four. So we would be leaving, that, that would be left on the table still to be uh, something discussed to bring it to seven. Another item left was um, uh, the elimination of arbitration in the case of termination. Only. Only. So not overall discipline, just termination. Um, so that is something that was talked about previously also. Um, the third item was I believe uh, we were, yeah, we, we wanted to be able to confirm that Chief Cox would be able to um, redistribute or redeploy officers as needed. Um, that was something that, that didn't happen before previously and we wanted, we weren't sure how we came out at the last contract with that. So we wanted that clarified also. And Arbor has a really unique structure. The union contract has been, um, really unique in terms of contracts from across the country in that the police chief did not necessarily have an ability to reassign personnel at his discretion to do a different job. And um, you've heard past police chiefs talk about that and how odd it is in Ann Arbor, but it's a thing that's, that's existed for some time. Um, and thus you're not necessarily able to look at somebody's skills and decide that they would be better fit doing something else. And that was something that we had talked about in the last contract. Um, and so that was brought up again. Thank you for doing that. No problem. Any sure. thoughts, questions about that negotiation process? Commissioner Othman. Not, not uh, negotiations, just follow up on the uh, updates on the complaints review. Um, uh, we met with the uh, Deputy Chief of Police uh, this first Wednesday, I believe. And um, one of the issues that we have, I think, uh, at one point we were as commission and uh, managers were quite uh, uh, optimistic that uh, we will conclude reviewing all the cases by the end of uh, June, but I don't see that this is going to happen because uh, we have only received uh, documents and videos on few cases from 2021. And uh, 2021, there were t uh, 37, 36 cases and I believe that we have um, information, documents, et cetera, on under 10 of those ones. So uh, 
uh, and and uh, at least of cases I reviewed, there were two cases or complaints that one had seven videos and the other one had ten. Yeah. And uh, if you look at the time that is needed, it probably would be close to over seven or so hours um, of uh, um, videos to review. Um, and there are some issues um, with, with the rest. It's like when we are going to receive uh, documentations on the other cases. Yeah. So that would uh, really uh, slow us down in terms of reviewing uh, the cases. Um, so I believe that uh, there should be some kind of mechanism to accelerate um, uh, the, the information uh, coming our way so we will have a chance to review them and in a timely and fashion done in a reasonable time. Yeah. So, so that's one of the interesting things about the ordinance. We can remind them that they may be outside of their 30-day window, but there's actually no punishment for the police if they, if they don't comply with that. So um, we can certainly remind them of that. Yeah, we, we need to get the assignments to the police so they know who to give the cases to. Okay. So I'll send that now. Sure. Um, and I think, and, and, and further in that process, we have had extensive discussions with the city administrator regarding our ability to see complainant names and so we're hoping to see some movement in that way as well as well as um, a different way of documenting the officers who are involved um, where that was done in a, a really um, um, there, the, the, the mechanism by which officers' names were revealed to us and those are now revealed to us even though we don't necessarily reveal the officers' names to the public um, dependent upon the cases, it was not clear which officer was who when you try to match the reports to a unique identifier number. And so we've asked that that be streamlined and there was some resistance to that. But we are hoping to see some movement on that as well. And hopefully we'll be able to report back in May that, um, that these processes are a little bit less onerous. Any other thoughts about complaint review? Um, so we can now take public comment. If there's anyone here who would like to make a public comment. Hello. Hello. Uh, so I missed the beginning of the meeting. Maybe you went over some of this, but um, I am concerned as you are that you I, I assume you still do not have the traffic stop data um, that you've been asking for at council meetings and so I just I think that's ridiculous uh, the only explanation I can think of is that the police are hiding something or are spending time I mean uh, as for marijuana excise money being used for diversion, I really do not like what I hear, heard about diversion. Like, honestly, I think we should just release people that are in prison right now that had drug, these types of drug charges against them that's now legal and then give them money directly. Um, that just seems like something this country uh, is going to be like, no, that's actually impossible. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but I think that logically seems 
the best use of the money for me. And um, as far as unarmed crisis, or, oh, one more thing about the diversion. I actually was a beneficiary of a diversion program when I was in college. I was on my rollerblades. I went in a dining hall to get something to eat, and the bottom of my rollerblade hit a glass door, cracked it. And this is like months later, campus police came while I was eating with my friends, took me out away from them, took me down a side stairwell, pushed me up against the wall, cuffed me, and took me to the campus police station. So that is what people go through before they get to a diversion program. And this was later. I was so scared I didn't tell my parents. Uh, I didn't really even have a stable mailing address, so I wasn't getting all the court notices. And uh, uh, like the next semester, the campus police arrested me purposefully like right before finals week. Um, and I spent the night in the city jail. So I just see as the money for diversion actually being given to the um, judiciary system because people are still under a threat like, oh, you're not going to jail, but I mean, uh, Attorney Slay was uh, talking about like, yeah, they're not forced to do what, you know, the, what, and it's like, well, you're under the threat. If you don't complete the program, you go to jail. So I know this is kind of long-winded, but I hope uh, it made some sense. Um, and thank you. For your I have time. a response too, yeah. just to clarify things. So we have traffic stop data for um, 2017, 18, 19, and 2020, and that's currently being analyzed. What we were asking is that all traffic stop data going forward be available and open to the public. And that's what we are hoping, that's what we are asking council to do, asking council to compel the police department to make that data public so that anybody can see that anytime. So um, we eventually got the data sets that we were um, asking for, you probably heard me, you know, fussing about that. And we eventually got those data sets and are working with um, the SMART group at Eastern Michigan University, Southeast Michigan. I'm going to get their name wrong every time. Um, but um, they have a criminal justice program there that um, we have been using their researchers and they have been working with us to do that. It's called the Southeast Michigan Criminal Justice Policy Research Project. Um, and so we are in the process of analyzing that data. We've been working for a year on what best analyses to use and talking to other statisticians, people who did the Michigan State Police study, talking to Michigan State Police. We had um, their Lieutenant Colonel Crum here and he talked about the value of making that kind of information public. And so um, we think that by the end of the summer, we'll start being able to release some information that we found from those, those years. We're looking at 17, 18, and 19. Since 2020 was the first COVID year, people drove really differently and mm -hmm. so it's weird. So we'll analyze that one separately. But um, so we're on our way to doing that and we've actually been working on it for a really long time since the fall um, with Kevin Karpiak, who's over at Eastern Michigan University. Um, but what we're asking for now is that those data sets just be made public all the time. And I would argue that the, the data belong to the people who were stopped as much as they do any city department. And there are lots of municipalities where that's happened and you haven't seen any mass uprisings or anything. Nothing terrible has happened when the data are public. So that's what we're asking for. So I just want to clarify. Okay. Oh, no, thank you very much. Of course, thank, thank you. Thank you for uh, all you're doing. Of course, thank you.
Anybody on the phone with Denise? Does he want to state his name? Did you want to state your name? My name is uh, Zachary Story. Thank you. No comments on the phone, right? No. Okay. Is there then um, anything else, any other comment that you all want to make, or is there a motion to adjourn? Motion to adjourn. Is there a second? Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? We are adjourned. Thank you, guys. I know I sound terrible.